Inspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and today is a very special mailbag episode. This is the first time I've done one of these for this particular podcast, so thank you to all of you who submitted questions via Twitter. Maybe in the future, I'll also solicit them on the Clips Nation website itself, but I got some really good ones, and I'm excited to get into them, so let's take a look. First question comes from Grizzly Bear Blues, the SB Nation Grizzlies account, and they asked us, why is everyone ducking Jaron Jackson Jr.? Now, in case you missed the game last night, the Clippers played against the Grizzlies without six, count that, six more than a starting lineup's worth of rotation players, and they still managed to beat the Grizzlies pretty comfortably, thanks to some excellent play from two of their 10-day contracts, Yogi Ferrell and DeMarcus Cousins, and then just... Awesome production from Luke Kennard, Avicii Zubac, Marcus Morris. Total team win. One of the ones that's right up there in contention for win of the year. You know, the Clippers have played seven games this season without both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And somehow, they have won five of those seven. So at this point, you're almost concerned as the opposing team when the Clippers come in shorthanded because there's no quit in their fight. These guys still bring it every single night. You know, what I thought was a roster that was a little short on back-end depth at the start of the season has completely proven me wrong because Patrick Patterson, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, guys that I thought wouldn't even scratch the surface for a real playoff rotation have been the difference in helping the Clippers win games. You know, look no further than Reggie Jackson hitting the game winner against Detroit last week or Luke Kennard putting up a career-high three-pointers against Memphis last night. I don't think anyone was ducking Jaron Jackson Jr. This is the Clippers' rest plan. It's been working for them. Again, winners of 10 out of 11. So I'm sorry that it didn't work out for you, JJJ, in your return game, but better luck next time. All right, next question is from Chenny John. It says, out of all the guys who outperformed their contract right now, who do you really want to keep next season? And he suggests Reggie or Nick Batum. Now, I think Patrick Patterson probably also belongs in this conversation because he is an upcoming free agent. And even though I don't think he's going to get more than a minimum contract, there is an argument that as a backup four or five, he could provide a real role on a team that doesn't have a lot of bigs. My answer, however, would be Nick Batum. Um, As much as I've enjoyed the Reggie Jackson experience thus far in this 2020-21 regular season, I am a little suspicious of what that is going to look like during the postseason. Uh, Reggie was hunted on the defensive end. You know, a lot of those Luka Doncic highlights in the first round of the playoffs came courtesy of Reggie Jackson. I am not sure how much his scoring is going to come in handy when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have higher usages during the playoffs, and he's not really a playmaker. Um, The one thing that he does do for the Clippers is push the tempo, But now they have Rajon Rondo to do that, so why would you need Reggie Jackson, who is a lesser playmaker and a lesser defender in that space? I'm not saying that Reggie won't be useful during the playoffs. I just think that he will be less useful when the top guys get their bulk of the minutes during the postseason. Whereas I don't think the Clippers have another guy who can replicate what Nick Batum does. You know, he's a a forward wing size guy who can guard players that are much bigger than Reggie Jackson and Rondo are capable of, helps take away some of that defensive responsibility from Kawhi and PG until they switch onto those guys in the fourth quarter. Nick Batum can be part of these 
five out, you know, switch everything lineups, which I, is really important for the way Ty Lue wants to play, for the way you kind of have to play against some of these better offenses during the playoffs. So I think just the positional versatility of Nick Batum, the fact that he fills a need that is a little bit harder to find, like harder to find players to fill that role around the NBA, that's what would make me want to bring Batum back just because it's, it's a lot harder to find wings that are good versus guards that are good. And beyond just Rondo, I mean, the, the Clippers are going to be bringing back Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard next year, who I think can fill into that Reggie Jackson role, even if they haven't been as efficient as him this season. That's something that they can definitely grow into. So love Reggie. I'm sure Paul George loves having him around. You know, those guys are really great friends. If you haven't watched them hype each up, hype each other up on the press conferences, make sure you search that up on the Clippers Twitter feed. But yeah, if it comes down to a Nick Batum versus Reggie Jackson scenario, I am definitely picking Nick Batum. All right, next question comes from Ramsey's. Uh, what style will Ibaka have on the bench next week? So this is a really good question. Uh, it's probably the hardest one that I got because if I had any understanding of Ibaka's fashion, I mean, he probably wouldn't be wearing that because that's not what he attempts to do. Uh, I'm going to guess something a little bit uh, summery, you know, maybe some shorts. I know he went with a, uh, like a bottomless top, like a, I wouldn't say as a dress, it's more of like a, a tunic, really long tunic last week that had a lot of people <laughs> staring. Uh, you know, Baca's just a lot of fun. Uh, it's too bad that he hasn't been on the court much during the second half of the season, but he definitely brings it on the sidelines. You know, he's in that rare class of players who still, you know, even in this pandemic season when they're not required to be wearing, you know, dress code specific attire, still brings it. Uh, I, I count him and like Yusuf Norkic in that category. And Jonas Valanciunas last night against the Clippers actually had a jacket that I think was a combination of his face with a wolf's face. So, you know, it's nice to see that even as suits have phased out, that there's still a lot of creativity happening among the fashion on the sidelines. But yeah, I got no idea what a is going to wear. Like, I, I don't think anyone can have an idea what a Bach is going to wear. It's it's an entirely out there question. I'm glad you asked it, but I'm sorry I have no better answers for you. All right, next up we've got from Nithish Verma. In a potential playoff series, who is the ideal Clipper defender for AD? Zoo would likely be guarding Drummond and Bev and PG on Schroeder and KCP, but Morris didn't have success on AD last year. Should the Clippers switch Kawhi onto AD and Morris onto LeBron, Morris can hold his own versus LeBron. So I really like this question because I do think that the Lakers, when at full strength, are the toughest opponent for the Clippers in the playoffs. And Anthony Davis has actually been the problem for the Clippers in those matchups. It has not been LeBron James. The Clippers have done a very good job of defending LeBron James, dating back to the start of last regular season, once they brought in Kawhi and PG. Um, I actually think that Nithish kind of answered his own question, because my response was going to be that they should put Kawhi on the Anthony Davis. Um, Davis is already the primary defender for Kawhi, so that um, makes it a little bit easier for the Clippers to avoid you know, losing track of that matchup and cross-matching, you know, they get back on defense and you have to switch that because it can get a little complicated. Uh, I think Kawhi is just uh, smarter as a defender than Marcus Morris. You know, with all due respect to Marcus Morris, it's just uh, Kawhi's defensive player of the year, right? Morris is not at that level. And he's a little bit stronger 
He can hold his own against Davis. And, you know, as much as Davis's jump shooting was a real weapon for the Lakers during last year's postseason, I don't think you need to treat him as a shooter. And that sort of allows Kawhi to play and help. And that's where he's just dynamic. So I think you would probably start with Kawhi on Anthony Davis. Um, I think the center matchup would be really interesting because, you know, the Clippers prefer to start Serge Ibaka, right? He was their starting center at the start of the season. And Drummond would have a really, really tough time guarding him out on the perimeter. So I wonder if the Lakers would just start with Davis at the five, in which case you probably don't want Kawhi guarding him. In that case, you would start with Ibaka on Davis. And I think that's a perfectly fine matchup. Um, But if the Lakers do start big, then yeah, Kawhi is the guy. And then Marcus Morris, I think, would do fine on LeBron, you know. This isn't a matchup where the Clippers are going to just make Morris guard LeBron on an island. They would give him a lot of help, send stunts, doubles, you know, blitz LeBron a little bit, and make him work. Because, I mean, if anybody knows how to defend LeBron James, it's probably Ty Lue, who spent three-plus years coaching him in Cleveland. All right. Next question comes from Joey uh, with the Twitter handle, Hey Joey Jojo. Um, if the Clippers win the championship, will Sabrina JM get a Clippers tattoo? This is a hard no. I'm not a tattoo person. I don't even like henna tattoos that are temporary. When I was a kid, I didn't want those little sticker tattoos that washed off within like 30 minutes. So not a tattoo person. Um, the Clippers won a championship. Like I am fascinated to see what kinds of celebrations would exist around Los Angeles, but you can rest assured that me getting a tattoo will not be one of them. All right. Next question comes from L.A. Ray. He asks, how do you think Ty Lue will rotate his point guards during the playoffs, specifically Pat Bev, Rajon Rondo, and Reggie Jackson? It's a great question. I've been hearing from a lot of people that they aren't sure if Patrick Beverly should be the starting point guard because there has been so much time that he hasn't been around. You know, he hasn't been healthy. And Reggie has done just a phenomenal job stepping in for him. You know, there's definitely an extra offensive punch I think that Reggie Jackson provides mostly because he's a more willing scorer than Patrick Beverly. I think Patrick Beverly is a perfectly good shooter. I mean, Lawrence Frank called him an elite spot-up shooter the last time he spoke. And for whatever reason, Beverly's offensive reputation, I think, lags quite a bit behind his defensive reputation, but he spaces the floor. He can make those straight-line drives to the basket, and he is just so much better defensively than Reggie Jackson that I think you have to have him as your starting point guard. And, you know, with... There's an argument to be made that, like, yeah, the Clippers haven't had enough time to practice with Beverly, you know, in this new rotation, but he's been around for a while. He played with these guys last year. Uh, You know, by these guys, I mean Kawhi and PG and Marcus Morris and Zubac. Like, there's enough institutional continuity there with Beverly. If he's healthy, which he should be, considering the timetable for this latest hand surgery, he'll be the starting point guard. My guess is that he'll probably have about 28 minutes at point guard, and then Rajon Ronda will fill in those final 20. Um, Whether that final 20 includes the closing minutes or not, I guess, depends on the matchup. I would imagine that the Clippers will want to close with Rondo just because of his know-how, you know, in these playoff situations. And he came in off the bench last year, you know, for the Lakers. So it's not like he's expecting a starting role. You know, he didn't sign with the Clippers for that, right? He was acquired in a trade. And it's not like he had any say in the matter. So I think Rondo is perfectly happy coming off the bench, taking those 20 minutes, maybe bump that up to 22 and take two away from Pat Bev. So like... Somewhere in that 27-21 range to split between Patrick Beverly and Rajon Rondo at the point guard position. I'm envisioning Reggie more as a two guard in the postseason. Um, 
when Kawhi and PG have to play up, you know, when they play at the small forward position or even when you're playing a little bit smaller and Kawhi and PG are your forwards, that's when Reggie Jackson is the shooting guard. I don't really want him doing playmaking during the playoffs because his decision-making is just not as strong as the other guards that the Clippers have on their roster. So if you can just slot him in as a scorer and shooter because he's just an elite shooter. I mean, big government Reggie Jackson, right? He's always bailing you out at the end of the clock. So I don't think we're going to be thinking of Reggie as a point guard during the playoffs. He'll be he'll be an off-ball guy. And to me, that is the best usage of his talent. So let's take a short break and then we'll come back for the next set of questions. All right, next up, we got a question from Nate, whose handle is historicauthor9. Can you picture Rondo and Kawhi hanging out outside of work? So this is like actually my favorite question that I got out of any of the ones on the Twitter mailbag. Um, I can't picture it. You know, I have no idea what Kawhi looks like in a personal setting. Um, just nothing whatsoever. Uh, and the one time I have interacted with Rajan Rondo outside of a basketball setting was when the Lakers were holding a holiday party for some families in the El Segundo area at their practice facility. And Rondo basically stood in the corner and played connect four with kids the entire time. And he was just, you know, holding court. Like he'd play once, the kids would lose and he'd move on to the next one. It wasn't a situation where the kids got to play. It was, if you beat him, you got to take control of the board and no one beat him because that's what Rajan Rondo does. I actually think they would get along quite well. They both seem very low key. Not a lot of fuss, you know, not a lot of drama. I think they could easily be in each other's company. I just can't, for the life of me, imagine what it would look like. (laughs) But it's, you know, something fun to think about. Next question comes from Duke Damon. They ask, do you see man getting minutes in the playoffs if the Clippers are fully healthy? So the way I see it, there is a top eight in the Clippers rotation for the playoffs. You've got Beverly, Rondo, PG, Kawhi, Batum, Morris, Zubach, and Ibaka. And then Reggie Jackson, to me, feels like the ninth guy, but we might revert to what Tyloo was doing at the start of the season where he puts in Reggie, Terrence, and Luke, you know, alternately, depending on what the matchup asks for. Um, At this point, I think Reggie has usurped the two younger guys just because of his consistency. And I do believe that the decision-making that he's displayed is much better than it was during his stint last season with the Clippers, even though it's something that I'm still mildly concerned about, at least with respect to, you know, Beverly and Rondo's decision-making. So if Reggie is the ninth guy, I don't think the Clippers are going to run a 10-man rotation in the playoffs. They could. Um... I could very easily see like, you know, a Kawhi plus four bench guys or a PG plus four bench guys, depending on the matchup. If Terrence is getting minutes, it's going to be like eight to 10 minutes, unless the Clippers really need like a jolt of energy, in which case he's the guy off the bench who's going to give it to them. But I'm not expecting him to be getting more than eight to 10 minutes in a game. Uh, We've got another question from the same user. Uh, Is Rondo starting the playoffs or still keep Patrick Beverly in the starting lineup if healthy? So I kind of alluded to this one earlier. I'm of the belief that Patrick Beverly should be in the starting lineup. I know Rondo has shot the three pretty well since he came to the Clippers, and obviously he shot very well with the Lakers last year in the bubble. 
I still don't think that Rondo is guarded like a shooter, so it's not like he's providing you spacing. Um, I also think that Rondo is better in shorter shifts, and Patrick Beverly is, you know, he's the starter. He's been the starter for the Clippers for the last two years. He knows how to play with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, I, I'm not sure if he's a better player than Rondo, but I do think that there's something to be said for fit. And there is just a lot of continuity with that starting lineup. And the Clippers are going to be having to do a lot of mixing and matching with rotations because of how many guys have been out of the lineup, you know, throughout the course of the season. And then obviously the changes that they've made to their lineup by acquiring Rondo, by, you know, bringing in DeMarcus Cousins, Yogi Ferrell, and the other guys at the start of the season. So I think they're going to want to hold on to something that's a little bit familiar, keep Patrick Beverly in the starting lineup. Um, Ty Lue made it very clear when they acquired Rondo that Pat Bev was still the starter. I don't think that means he's going to be the closer. I do think Rondo will be in situations where, you know, Kawhi Leonard's going to want a real point guard next to him down the stretch of games to help him get into his spots in crunch time. And Rondo has shown the ability to do that. So, yeah, Pat Bev will be in the starting five. He'll get announced, you know, from the city of Chicago, Patrick Beverly. But ultimately, in these situations, it really matters who's closing the games. And I think that will be Rondo more often than not. Unless the Clippers go with those five out, you know, all spacing lineups without a true center. In those lineups, they might want Patrick Beverly because it's easier for him to switch onto bigger players. But, you know, even then, Rondo's Rondo's got pretty long wingspan. He's a pesky defender. I wouldn't count on, you know, I wouldn't count him out in terms of being able to guard small forwards or other wings in the Western Conference. And then we got one last question from the same user, Duke Damon. Um, Reggie taking less shots in the playoffs. So Reggie Jackson is currently shooting the ball. Let's see, I had this written down, forgive me, uh, 8.4 field goal attempts per game. There's no way he's getting that many shots off in the playoffs. Um, I do think his role is gonna diminish quite a bit in the playoffs because he's been starting for half the season. You know, and there've been games where if Kawhi is out or PG is out, like this is number two scoring option, Reggie Jackson, and there's no chance of him having that large of an offensive role in the playoffs. I think if we see, you know, Reggie taking shots in the playoffs, it's going to be spot up threes and potentially drives to the basket when they, you know, sell out hard on him as a shooter. And then he has to close out that space and get it to the rim. But yeah, the 8.4 field goal attempts that he currently has, that's going to come down to about five, I think in the postseason, unless there's a game where he just has a heater, you know, in the first round and the the Clippers run with him a little bit longer, but as the series go on, you know, the Clippers are in the second round or further, I wouldn't expect Reggie Jackson to get more than five shots per game. Okay, next question comes from Alfredo Rodriguez with the Twitter handle Whammy Giveaway. Which playoffs obstacle do you think will be the most difficult for the Clippers to the point that it determines their future? Okay, so which of these obstacles do we think is the most difficult? Number one, drawing the Lakers. Number two, forced to break the hearts of Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and Doc Rivers. Um, Number three, a rematch with the Nuggets. And number four, the overall second round. All right. So, you know, um, the path that he's outlined for the Clippers in the playoffs, I'm going to focus on number two so far, being forced to break the hearts of all of these former Clippers. I mean, they can't play Doc Rivers and DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, right? You just can't play two Eastern Conference teams. 
I think if the Clippers got to the point where they were playing an Eastern Conference team, they would be perfectly happy. It would not be an obstacle. It would not be difficult at all. And as much as Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and those guys have meant to the overall arc of this franchise, yeah, there's there's not going to be any love lost if it, you know, if they have to beat them in the postseason. Rematch with the Nuggets, uh, I don't think will be that big of a deal, you know, because of the Jamal Murray ACL injury, which is unfortunate because I know most people thought that the Nuggets beat the Clippers in sort of a fluky series last year, right? That there was a lot going on with the Clippers as part of the bubble that would not be affecting them in a playoff series that was conducted in their home markets, right? Like they would have had home court advantage, you know, they'd be playing game seven in Staples Center instead of in that neutral site in Orlando. Uh, it was it was a weird situation. This is a better Clippers team. But I do think that the Nuggets were also a lot better than they were last year. And it's a weird situation because you'd think that the Nuggets would have less incentive to try to prove themselves because they had beaten the Clippers. But it's almost like all of the talk about how the Clippers blew the series instead of the Nuggets winning it gave Denver that motivation to be like, hey, no, we're the better team. That wasn't a fluke. We can do it again. I just don't think they can do that without Jamal Murray. There are some athletic advantages that the Nuggets have that were sort of on display the last time those two teams played in the Staples Center. You know, Eric, Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. are a lot to handle on the wings, right? They're big, physical guys who can just jump out of the gym, you know, and they provide some sort of backline rim protection that I think the Nuggets were missing last year. You know, like if you got to the rim, their health defense was Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant, who aren't guys who are going to block your shots or prevent lob attempts. And that's a real distinct element that Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon provide. Um, if for some reason the Nuggets fell into the sixth seed and the Clippers had to face them in the first round, that would suck. That would be a really hard first round matchup. But I don't think it's as hard as drawing the Lakers just because of Jamal Murray. If Jamal Murray were healthy, I actually think the Nuggets are the toughest opponent that the Laker, the Clippers could have faced in the playoffs in the Western Conference. Now, though, I think that it's the Lakers and again, this relies on the assumption that the Lakers will be healthy. You know, Anthony Davis is set to come back Thursday, today, against the Mavericks. We'll see what he looks like. We'll see if and when LeBron James is able to come back. But as the rosters are presently constructed, I think that the Lakers are a tougher matchup for the Clippers than the Nuggets. Um, but I'm kind of going to pick number four on this playoffs obstacle list, which is the overall second round. I mean, I hate to buy into the narratives of everything, but... You know, the Clippers have never made it past the second round. Uh, They've gotten very close. They've been up 3-1 twice within the last decade in the Western Conference semifinals, and they haven't been able to get that next win to go into the conference finals. I do believe that whatever happens in the conference finals, if the Clippers get to that point, this season will be a rousing success. Like, to have won two playoff series would be a monumental achievement for this franchise. And... Even though I consider the Clippers to be the favorites to come out of the West, you know, they, they have to do it. I, I'm not like one to believe in curses or jinxes, but there is a certain amount of like bad vibes that seems to hover over the Clippers in the second round of the playoffs. And just because of that, you know, overarching history that has accompanied the Clippers at that point in the playoffs, to me, that's going to be the toughest obstacle is the second round. All right, next question comes from Troy Francis. Does Ibaka come straight back in the lineup? Now, see, this is a far more interesting question to me than if Beverly comes back in the starting lineup because Beverly has a lot longer history of being a clipper and of playing with these guys. 
So it's a lot easier to start him back into the starting lineup, especially because I think his replacements are, you know, meaningfully different than he is. It changes meaningfully worse, I believe, in, in the case of Reggie Jackson, to where like you wouldn't want to make that talent downgrade just for the sake of continuity. In my opinion, Zubac is a better player than Serge Ibaka. And yeah, he doesn't provide the spacing that Ibaka does, but he puts some pressure on the rim, and I think the Clippers need that more than the spacing because they have such good shooting at every other position that, like, it's almost like there's, like, an over... You can kind of overdo it in terms of the spacing, I think. Uh, just having a guy who can attack the offensive glass, who can finish around the rim, who, like, you know, provides a lob threat. Um, I think those are more important to what the Clippers are trying to do on offense than what Ibaka does. And in terms of defense, I've I've seen this, you know, argument come up a lot. I think Ibaka is a better defender. I'm sorry. I think Zubac is a better defender than Ibaka. Jeez, it's so close that I couldn't even get that right on the first try. Um, I have seen the arguments that Ibaka is a better defender because he's more mobile on the perimeter. You know, he's better in switching systems. He's obviously played in really complex defensive systems in Toronto. I still think that Zubac is better. You know, his lateral ability, uh, I think, goes a little underrated. He did really well switching on to Luka Doncic on the perimeter. Even Jamal Murray on the perimeter when the Clippers last played against the Nuggets, although obviously that's not going to be a matchup anymore. He's an excellent, excellent rim protector, just a truly excellent rim protector. I'm not sure why he isn't discussed in those tones, you know, around the league. But in my belief, the only thing Ibaka does better is shoot. And when you have four other guys on the court who are already shooting 40% on threes, I'm not sure how much of an upgrade that is considering everything else Zubac brings for you. So if it were just a matter of pure talent, I think that you should be starting Zubac. However, that's obviously not the case. Um, Ibaka was the starter at the beginning of the season. The only thing he's really done wrong is get injured. Um, the starting lineup with Ibaka was outscoring opponents by 17.3 points per 100 possessions. That's Gordon cleaning the glass. Um, the starting lineup with Zubac, which, to be fair, also has Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris instead of Patrick Beverly and Nick Batum is only a plus 13.2. So it's a little bit worse. But again, I think that Reggie Jackson is a little bit worse than Patrick Beverly. So I'm not sure how much of that difference you can attribute to Ibaka versus Zubac. And, you know, we're at the point where there are like 14 games left in the season. Um, let's see, the Clippers are 42 and 19. So there are, there's like 11 games left in this season. And I just don't think that's enough time for the Clippers to work Ibaka back in. I mean, Tyloo won't explicitly say that Ibaka has lost his starting spot, but I just worry that there are so many continuity issues that the Clippers have to work through that maybe this is one where, you know, Zubac has been starting for the, for like five or six weeks now. And I don't think it's an accident that the Clippers defense finally looks right and that those offensive questions that we had about their ability to put pressure on the paint and attack the rim, like those have seemingly been resolved since Zubac has been in the starting lineup. He is tremendously durable. He has not missed a game due to injury since he joined the Clippers. The only times that he was out of the lineup were against the Golden State Warriors in the 2019 playoffs when Doc thought that he couldn't guard the Warriors. And that was fair. That was totally fair. He could not guard the Warriors. So he's going to be available for you. He can play 30-some minutes now. You know, his conditioning is at the point where he can give you really good minutes. So 
I don't have any reason to believe that Ty Lue is going to keep Zubac in the starting lineup, but I think he should. And the longer we go without Serge being available, and keep in mind that he hasn't even been cleared for on-court activity yet, I think there's a good bet that Zubac will be the starting lineup for game one of the playoffs, just because there's not enough time for Serge to reclaim that position. All right, and then one last question was, why is everyone hurt? Um, what is knee soreness? <laughs> All right, Ramses. Um, you know, the, the Clippers are one of the oldest teams in the NBA. Um, I haven't seen uh, a ranking that, you know, puts everyone in age order since the trade deadline. Um, and I think the Clippers got a little bit older towards the course of this end of the season because, you know, they replaced Fiondu Cabangeli with DeMarcus Cousins. And then uh, they replaced Lou Williams with Rajon Rondo. I actually think Lou Williams is a little bit older than Rajon Rondo. So, you know, in the aggregate, they got a little bit older because the gap between the two of them is... Hang on, I probably should just look this up to begin with. Never mind. Rajon Rondo is older than Lou Williams. So the Clippers got a little bit older at the trade deadline because they replaced Lou Williams with Rajon Rondo, who's about a year older than Lou, or, you know, a few months older than Lou. And then they replaced Viandu Cabangeli with DeMarcus Cousins, who is significantly older than V. Um, you know, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys in their rotation who are at least 30 years old. Seven of them are at least 31 years old, and PG will be there by the time the playoffs start. These are guys that just can't play back-to-backs at this point, you know. Um, this schedule has been really hard. They have to play every other day. There's no time for practices. Uh, the the training staffs are so overwhelmed with the COVID protocols that like the amount of rehab work that they're able to do is a little bit limited. And just the amount of travel, the amount of games that they have, shortened off season, I think it would be unreasonable to expect guys who are in their 30s to be playing this volume of games. And we're seeing it around the league, right? So thankfully, the Clippers haven't had any catastrophic injuries, you know, knock on wood the major injury for Patrick Beverly that's going to keep him out is a hand injury, which thankfully is not going to affect his conditioning. You know, he can still work on his lower body conditioning even while his hand recovers, even if he can't play during games. So I don't think it's such a big deal that these Clippers are missing, you know, back-to-back games that they're sitting out and not playing four games in seven nights. I think it's really smart management by the training staff. And the fact remains that they keep winning games even when these guys are sitting out. So, yeah, you know, it's annoying to, like, check the injury report and all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard is on there for a sore right foot when, you know, he was just playing two nights ago and it seems like how could he possibly have a sore right foot? But this is a guy who had a degenerative leg condition and literally looked like he was hobbling during the playoffs in 2019 when he won finals MVP and led Toronto to the championship. So if he needs time, I think the Clippers are right to give him time. You know, he looked he looked gassed at the end of the playoffs last year. The, the ramp up didn't quite work for him in the bubble. And if the team believes that it's better off for him sitting a week here, you know, in preparation for the playoffs, if Paul George is better off not playing back-to-backs, if Rondo's better off on a minutes restriction not playing back-to-backs, so on and so forth, I think they have earned the benefit of the doubt in how they have treated their players because of the production level to this point. I don't know what knee soreness is, I got to tell you. <laughs> I really don't know what knee soreness is. 
But if your knees don't feel great, I imagine it's really hard to move laterally, jump up and down and do the kinds of things that are required of you as an NBA player. So yeah, I just, I trust what the Clippers medical staff is doing. I think the results validate their approach thus far. And if the Clippers are healthy in the playoffs, you know, even if they're just down one piece as opposed to like three or four rotation players as they have been for much of the season, this team is so deep, is so talented, and has so much motivation to prove themselves after what happened last year. I think we're at the point where they have to be considered the favorites, you know? I know I made a big spiel earlier about how there is this voodoo magic that's happening in the second round that seems to be working against the Clippers. Even allowing for that bad luck, I think these Clippers are so much better than every other team in the West. You know, whether that holds up against Brooklyn, if they have their breakthrough healthy, is an entirely different question and one I will happily address if we get to that point. But this team is really good. And I think the training staff has done the right thing by keeping them as fresh as possible, managing minutes as much as possible, even if it gets annoying when, you know, Paul George has to come out with two and a half minutes left against the Nets during a regular season game. Yeah, it sucks. But keep the big picture in mind. I think this is the right approach, especially during a season that is as compact as this, with all of the extra additional stressors the players have because of the testing, because of their limited ability to go out and just live normal lives. It's hard. And I'm very impressed with how they've performed so far. This is easily the best stretch that the Clippers have played since I started covering the team, you know, starting in 2018. And you look at this team and it's pretty clear that this is a group that should be playing in July. That's how I feel. So yeah, you know, knee soreness. It's going to be showing up on the injury report, lower back tightness, sore right feet, feet swelling, all sorts of things. Just get used to it for the next 11 games because it probably won't be happening in the playoffs. And on that note, that was all the questions. Thank you guys so much for submitting those questions on Twitter. Um, If you ever have any questions and I'm not doing a particular mailbag episode, just hit me up on Twitter at SabrinaJM or on our Clips Nation, SB Nation account. You know, um, if you have any questions, I can answer them directly. We can answer them in the body of a post. Maybe they can even spawn the idea for a new piece altogether. So I'm happy to engage with you guys whenever possible. And thanks again for making this mailbag episode possible. Be sure that you are subscribed to the Clips Nation podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you want to listen to your shows. And we will be back next week.